right, sorry we're a little late on Dunked On. Danny was moving yesterday, so we had to postpone it. Uh, single Danny, the last vestiges uh, are gone. What are you going to do with yourself? Uh, we'll see. Be, be happy? <laughs> I'm very happy. <laughs> uh, so, uh, I guess what we need to talk about here is whether the team that selects LaMelo Ball is going to be happy. Just give us some of the uh, the key stats uh, on LaMelo here. We, we run into this a fair amount this year because there wasn't a combine, but so you can't get great measurements on LaMelo. I asked Sam Vecini of The Athletic uh, his like his best guess, and what I got was uh, 6'6 height, 6'7 or so wingspan. I've seen it as high as 6'10, but I think it's probably more in the 6'7, 6'8 range. Um, about 180. And I mean, LaMelo Ball, like the other Ball brothers, I think a lot of the bio stuff is pretty well known. Played at Chino Hills. Did not go to college, instead played for the Ilwara Hawks in the Australian NBL and is is going to the NBA. Also worth noting, he is a very young player for this draft class. He turn I believe he turns 19 like sometime in the like in in 2020 so he's draft eligible but later than the originally scheduled draft date yeah so, August 22nd yeah okay so yeah but and so that is uh you know you can say that's a benefit if you will but it is I, I guess kind of a, a, an interesting I, I tried to work when we were watching watching the film on him the most apt comparison that I had was his older brother Lonzo but I was trying to think of if Lonzo Ball didn't exist who would I be comparing LaMelo Ball to? I think Ricky Rubio is one that definitely comes to mind. That was the mind. first one I thought of. For me, although I think LaMelo is, you know, has more shooting potential than Rubio, to be sure. Yeah, like, I, I thought of it as like Ricky Rubio, a little bit worse in a couple aspects we'll talk about, but if Ricky Rubio had grown up around now as opposed to when he did in Spain and like the role of shooting and the role, like what, what a point guard is, is very different now than even 10 years ago. Well, I mean, there's a few reasons to say that there's a few reasons. Not. I mean, in terms of their experience level, they couldn't be more different. LaMelo Ball basically has the least high level of experience that you could possibly have. I mean, I would say maybe even less than James Wiseman, you know, because for not having, you know, he's kind of bounced around. He hasn't actually played that much. Um, you know, he hasn't really, other than these 12 games with Illawarra had to fit into any kind of a normal system where, and even in Illawarra, it was all built around him. Whereas rookie Rubio, you know, he was playing with Joventut when he was like 15, he was on the Spanish national team when he was 17. He, and, uh, so I, I, I mean, I guess we can, we're getting off track a little bit here, but I, I mean, I think I, I agree with you. I don't think his wingspan is that big. Um, I, he is a good athlete in a straight line, accelerating in a straight line as a one foot leaper. I think he's pretty good as a two foot leaper. He's awful. Oh man. That, um, the, there was a, I think it was in the, the last, the last bit of film, there was an alley-oop that somebody threw him and he just couldn't get up off of two feet. Well, uh, there's another play where the first play of the game against New Zealand, he just gets blocked by RJ, by RJ Hampton, Hampton going up uh, off of two feet. So it's, uh, that's, uh, now that'll happen sometimes uh, where he's so skinny and he really has not put in much time in the weight room you said 180 i think that's probably about right for 670 he may even still be growing uh, as well you know, some people have put that theory together because he, he really you know he's in the last year and a half or so i think he's grown a couple of inches um to to where he is six seven now um laterally he is not the same as he is in a straight line i uh, really struggles to get down into a stance i think he has really tight hips he just has a very very weak glutes uh, and core and quads just a, almost no functional strength 
at this point in time um you know one of and that shows up in the way that he plays as well just absolutely zero physicality right now and you know that's not the end of the world for an 18 year old with his experience level the australian league is kind of a physical league uh but you know he definitely was not able to rise to that challenge in terms uh, of his physicality um what about uh the stats during his 12 games in the australian league so he played, yeah, played 13 games. Uh, I'm, yes, I'm going yes. Through, what, yeah. One was in the NBL Blitz. The sorry, NBL sorry, Blitz, sorry. yeah. Uh, average 17.2 points, 6.8 assists, 7.8 rebounds, earmuffs, 39% from the field, 28% from three. Got to the line for 3.8 attempts and made 70% of those. Yeah, also a uh, solid rebounder. Yeah. Um, you know, it didn't show up as much on film, actually, in the games that we watched. He, he had some times where, where he would attack the glass, others where he didn't. But, I mean, the overall stats on that are outstanding for his size. Now, the, again, the Australian League does not have a lot of really athletic players. You, you know, a bunch of guys who are 6'7". If he decided to go in there and rebound, he, he could get it. And he has good anticipation tracking the ball off the rim when he tries. So 22% defensive rebound rate uh, was very very solid so i think where we should start with him is the good and the passing is absolutely ridiculous in pretty much all aspects i mean he's got the lonzo pass it ahead type of game you know he doesn't push the ball like lonzo necessarily uh when he has the ball but the hit ahead passes he is amazing at manipulating the defense with his eyes and almost passing guys open uh just the no looks that he can throw left hand right hand passes are outstanding where i think he's beyond lonzo is his ability to get into the paint as a penetrator and draw the defense he beautiful passes laying it down to the big finding the roll man and pick and roll they had a bunch of pick and pop bigs but people might remember david anderson from some old australian national teams he was on that team they had a few other pick and pop bigs as well so you know he, he could find the pop man um you saw actually he was so good in pick and roll that a lot of teams would just switch him which we will talk about his iso game in a second but i mean to me that passing was just incredibly impressive and especially when you consider his size at six seven um that's the thing that really stood out to me and of the all the players that we've watched so far we haven't watched everyone obviously um i would say that his passing is the most impressive single skill of anyone that we've evaluated so far agreed completely and you you focused a lot on what i call the passing toolbox which is like the kind of passes that you can make and you know the the outlets and left or right and that is an important part of this i think of chris paul as being a particularly great passing toolbox guy has a lot of those that he can throw and lamello is one of the best i can recall seeing at this stage in his development and having having a robust toolbox and knowing what to use at what time but the other part of this and this is also where Lamelo shines, is his vision and his anticipation. And so we watched Anthony Edwards, and I, I made a comment when we, were, when we were talking about it on the pod about how I didn't see him make a single non-obvious pass. In the entire, like in all the film, we watched a couple games, and a lot, I watched a lot of isolated film on Anthony Edwards. And Anthony Edwards is a two, he's not a one. But he never made a single like non-obvious pass. Lamelo Ball is doing that constantly. He's seeing, he's seeing things, and also I love that he has it like he he gets into a natural cadence like he can he he knows okay this guy is going to become open at this point 
And it might not be the like, and part of that is figuring out the timing of the defense, figuring out the how the guy likes to roll, where he likes the ball. And Lonzo does those things well. There are plenty of other players who do, but there are a lot of very talented guards in the NBA who can't do that, who don't do that, who just they they can they can create a seam and they can make the pass, but they don't they don't do, intuit it. They just kind of force they they kind of force through it, and that doesn't make Lamelo a canvas player. We'll talk about a lot of things but it's so innate and i i've grown to really appreciate court vision and timing and like you could group that in with basketball iq because there are a lot of ways guys can go right and wrong but i like to think i i, I see that as like a, an intriguing north star for a lot of guys that i just like watching play well and where i would add this in as well and where again i mean you know we're gonna make this facile comparison to his brother a few times and there are so enough similarities that i i think that can be useful um maybe there's just something about the way lavar ball taught them to play basketball where there's like and their weird ass jump shots yeah yeah and, and a few also the fact that like a lot of times they just shoot their layups like it's a jump shot uh oh god when, when it's off at two feet which is not it's not a good thing no um uh, but but what adds to his vision is really part and parcel of it is for six seven his handle is awesome and so he, he's not one of these you know unbelievable like get to exactly where he wants to go on the floor type of guys yet but I mean the way that he can go behind his back cross over he's got the ball on a string when the guy pops open the ball's right back in his hand off the dribble it's a very tight handle um so you know he can tighten it up even more obviously but for a guy his size it's really one of the better handles that you're going to see and you know he can get bothered a little bit by super small guards pressuring him you know you're like your Bryce Cotton type of uh, guys who just would you know guys would, would want to get into the ball on him especially because you could tell they're really determined to like show off uh show this hot shot that you know he can't just get away with playing like this uh, in the NBL but largely he's totally fine handling that and that's i mean you don't see like he has a true point guard level of handle at six seven like he doesn't have to dribble defensively and you know when he pushes it in transition so those two things the handle for his size and the passing are really really standout skills um was there anything else about him that you really really liked yes and this is a very weird thing and this will tie in with a weakness which is I really liked his energy and movement off ball. Like he, there were, there were times where it kind of looked like he, he was moving like a proto Clay Thompson out there, like kind of trying to find his spots. But the hilarious part is he can't shoot that way. So it's, so I, I was seeing those little inklings and I think it's because he's a smart player and he plays with pretty good energy that you, there's this kind of idea that, oh, if those other elements could come into play, he could be an even more dangerous player because like, this is the, like how in basketball intelligence can be the connective tissue for guys, or it can be a real, a real challenge for other players. And I don't know, I don't think, I don't know if the, if the catch and shoot jumper will ever be there, but to have a, a, an 18 year old playing against men, even if it's not the best league in the world, who is just like, periodically you just see him cutting you see him just running to a spot 
and yeah. he can't. He does outsmart these guys sometimes. Yeah, that's a true. lot uh, on both offense and defense. You'll see it. Right, and and a lot of his like he ha- I liked some of the steals. Like so, I, I I enjoyed it in the early part of the like offense only footage. A lot of the plays actually had steals because they was you know defense leading to offense, and he wasn't gambling too much there. I thought it was more intuition, you know, just like knowing where things are. And w- when you consider the lack of conventional reps that LaMelo Ball has. The fact that he, you know, had this really weird circuitous route with Chino Hills and then playing in playing in Lithuania and the little bit of time. I I don't even remember if he played technically in the JBA, did that little bit and then played played 13 games for the Hawks. To have the instincts that he has at 18 years old is really interesting. That's where the comparison with Rubio I find so fascinating is that like we think of it a lot of times as yeah, you get that through playing a lot of basketball and you can do that at a young age too through like I mean as he did at Chino Hills with the possessions but it's it's I, I think about where that could go and like yeah once he can like get a sense of guys tendencies and what they like to do players like him often get better at that sort of like they, they develop more intuition and develop like a, a base like Tony there's stuff about Tony Allen doing that defensively Draymond is an example of that and I'm not saying LaMelo Ball is that type of basketball mind but you don't usually see 18 year olds make the reads and the 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 the, the, the decisions he makes couple of reactions there you said that he plays with decent effort i i can't quite go there i think there's there's uh some problems with that it's, in, it's inconsistent what i meant by yeah. it was like there are times when he like activates that it looks really good but it's not it's not nearly as consistent but like when it's there it's, when it's there i like it yeah i mean for like a four second period sure <laughs> he's, i mean uh he's not he's not um, that he's not that like pitbull like that type of on e- on either end he's a little bit floaty so so but i did like as a cutter to the basket in particular i mean i, I don't know that i uh clay thompson wouldn't have necessarily been the comparison for me but as a cutter going back door on guys i thought that's where and especially because he has that really quick burst in a straight line uh, that's where it can look really good if he gets a couple of steps going he can really uh if the guy's leading the wrong way he'll get him cutting back door he knows uh when the guy has turned his head so that's that was impressive to me and i think you know even if he doesn't become a great shooter that's a way that he can help provide some spacing and punish the defense uh, for not guarding him potentially if he's going to be an off-ball player some which you know i mean he might get drafted by the warriors uh, so that that would be certainly very important um I have one more thing that I, you you brought this up, but I want to emphasize it. Um, This would be a positive and a negative, like the other one that I talked about, which is he has a lot more tunnel vision as a, on pull-ups in those situations than as a true driver like if he's going to the basket he lamello always has his head up and he's looking for looking for teammates looking for the openings that are created by his movement and i always like that in a player because as long as you can like it, it, when a player is moving to the basket with the ball in their hands you're almost always going to draw extra eyeballs and extra attention like that's just the way it works and so again this is one of those if everything fits together is that if he can get to the basket with any regularity in the NBA. He will be able to 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 do well creating opportunities more for others than himself, at least in the beginning, though guards often get better at finishing later in their, you know, when they get stronger and, and later in their career. So I could see, it's another thing where I could see it working out well because I love the mentality there. And that's sort of paralleling Lonzo, but I think that LaMelo is actually better. I like him as a dro- passing driver better than most point guards I've seen at his age. 
So, yeah, I mean, there's so much to talk about with him because he is a rather unique prospect. But uh, let's let's kind of get through some of the nuts and bolts here. I mean, number one is the shooting. And so oh you mentioned the 28% from three. He is an aggressive shooter, to be sure, and will take deep threes uh, as a, a member of the ball family. Uh, he must. Uh, oh, um, so the, the, the thing, I, I remember when you and I talked, when we watched Trey Young film a couple of years ago, we talked about how when it misses, it looks so bad because it's in the air for such a long time. I felt that during all of the LaMelo ball film where you're, you'd see the ball floating there and just be like, ugh, when, especially when it didn't go in. So, so yeah, I, I mean, I think he will pull up from deep when he's not guarded. He's got his form. It's not as weird as Lonzo's. He doesn't do the whole thing where it's off his left hip, but he does get his left thumb very prominently involved. Um, you know, he's not, he's a better free throw shooter than Lonzo is at 70%. He can't really shoot it when he's really hard on the move that much, uh, from three, but like his spot up numbers were actually okay. Granted, this is a smaller sample, but catch and shoot, it actually looked decent for him. And he, you know, he could tighten up his release, speed up his release. Uh, you know, I do think at some point it'll behoove him to do some of the work that Lonzo did with Fred Benson this year, fixing his form because it's just, it's exceedingly inconsistent. Um, and, and he's taking really hard shots off the dribble. Once Aaron Brooks tore his Achilles in particular, he took a, a lot of bad shots. I thought that some of them, he was still too aggressive on even considering what the situation was with no other creators on his team and you know he's not that level of deep shooter off the dribble yet you know there's some hope that because he's willing to take him that it could be okay you know i'm i mean yeah the numbers are pretty grisly but if the catch and shoot was okay i mean granted that was like you know 30 attempts here we're not talking about a, a ton um and so i don't think for sure it's not going to work out for him as a shooter and to some degree if you select him you are betting on that working out to some degree uh you know is it going to be great no but like it has to get to the point where it's acceptable i don't know where it's going to or not i don't know whether there's a thought that he's really gonna have to do some surgery on a shot whether he'd be willing to do that uh but you know he's not like a non-shooter you know compare him to like rubio where it's just like okay he's gotta get his feet together and it takes forever and he just didn't want to shoot at all like he at least wants to shoot and feels confident so i'm i mean the numbers are ugly he is shooting from you know the international three-point line which uh you know it's not the same as college but uh you know it's it's deeper than you know for what we're used to seeing from college in the past so i'm and you know the free throw line is okay 70 percent. it's not you'd like it to be higher if you think he's going to become uh, an excellent shooter so i'm it's one of those things where I don't think there's a great chance he's going to become a really good shooter. I think there's an okay chance he become an acceptable shooter, but there's a significant chance as well that it's just going to be a weakness for him. And if it is, it's going to be tough for him to live up to a draft spot in the top three, top five. Right, because some would say, okay, Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons doesn't shoot. He, and yeah, he's nowhere near as bad. Yeah, nowhere near level. as bad. But here's the difference. Ben Simmons is bigger. Ben Simmons is a far better athlete. And Ben Simmons plays with a lot more force. And is also infinitely better as a defensive player, though that we're comparing it now. I mean, we hadn't seen all that with Ben Simmons, but the athletic base was was there, and it is not there for Lamelo Ball in the same respect. The part that I'm more optimistic about with 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 Lamelo is 
that I think he can get better at, I like to use the term assessing here, of what is a good shot and what is a bad shot. So he is far too comfortable. He Basically, he thinks that a pull-up jump shot is a better value play than it is, at least at the current moment. And that's presumably from the Chino Hills kind of ethos. But because he plays so intelligently and intuitively in other respects, my instinct is that, and I don't know him as a person, I don't know any, you know, I don't know any of those elements, that... A coaching staff could get to him and say, hey, man, if you can't make these shots, you're going to have to take them less. And I believe I'm, I'm more comfortable making that assessment with Ball than I am with Anthony Edwards because he has those elements in the other parts of his game. Whereas Edwards, I, I just don't know. Like, it, there's certainly a chance, and I could be wrong, but it's like if I'm assessing yeah, it, it. like Edwards might not be that smart of a player, and I think LaMelo is a smart player. Exactly. I think and, that's that's the difference. And so that I think that's where you're, a lot of this development that you're projecting comes from the fact that on both ends, he clearly has a level of intelligence. Um, and now is that going to translate? Maybe, maybe not. But it's it's a reason for optimism in a way that maybe you wouldn't have it with Edwards. Right, exactly. And so it's that that is a, it's a silver lining on a cloud if that's how it turns out. And and of you are 100% right that if the shot isn't there, especially, like we haven't talked, like, I mean, pull up through a pick and roll, like that's just such a key shot in the league right now, the pull up and transition. But that if he can excise the worst 10% of the shots that he takes, or in his case, probably be like 20 or 25%, then there will be some limitations. It'll change the way teams defend him, but he does other, he does other things well enough that I I think it will lead to a better, like, you know, points per possession when he has the, when he has the ball in his hands. Uh, Let's, let's get a little bit to the, um, well, here uh, on the shot here, I I know where I want to go next year. So let's, let's do his floater is, is very interesting. Um, 15 of 35 on runners, but these are, he's shooting some of these from like 20 feet away. It, you know, 15 feet away. That shot drove he's, me insane. Well, except it went in. Sometimes. It, it, like for the number, like you thought, it, I mean, he took some awful ones for sure. Because out of pick and roll, I mean, he doesn't, once he gets inside the arc, he's not shooting a normal jump shot. It's really, it's more of a floater, but he, he shoots it with, you know, the same form with his hands, like, like a jump shot, but he's kind of just on the move. He's not really shooting it off of one foot either, though. He's still sort of shooting it off of two feet as he's floating forward. But I actually think that's a shot that could be okay for him. And it's another thing that differentiates him from Lonzo of having something to go to when you're in the mid-range, which every once in a while, if you're going to be a pick-and-roll player, because I and that's the thing, right? Like Lonzo has not been able to be a pick-and-roll player, and that's part of why I think he's been below expectations, even though he's an effective player. And so that shot is going to be huge for LaMelo. And I actually, I think it's okay, especially when he, you know, again, doesn't take these ridiculously terrible ones, which he would take every once in a while. It was just, yeah, those are the ones what that the hell are you crazy. doing? Like, yeah, like the, like one step in front of the three-point line and you shoot a floater. Like it was one of the weirdest shots I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he does make it more than you would think right. that he would. And when he gets around the 15-foot range with that shot, I think it's pretty effective for mm-hmm. him, even if it is just crazy looking. And even if I'm sure his coach and teammates wanted to just fire him into the sun after you would take some of those because it, i mean it's such an unconventional shot and it looks so weird and he's facing a, a lot of 
defensive pressure on his back uh, on a lot of those. But the, it is an important element of his game. I think that's something that can be a relative strength for him. Um, I have something. But I want, fin- yeah, go ahead. So something I wanted to talk yeah. about was his finishing. So this, I'm going yes, to see if you go see if you can agree with me on how I would phrase this. He has no. A, I can never. I can't agree. With you. Has, I'll tell you that. He in has a lot of finishes, like moves and scoops and all that type of stuff. But I don't necessarily love his touch around the basket. And obviously, he needs to get a crap load stronger to actually finish against NBA bigs. Yeah, a, a lot of uh, issues there. I mean, number one, as I mentioned, is that if it's two feet, he just can't get off the ground. And maybe as he uh, is able to, you know, I, I think your two foot jump is something you can improve more than your one foot jump uh, by getting stronger uh, if you're kind of a skinny guy. So maybe he can get better with that. Um, but a lot of his finishes are off of one foot. And, you know, he's not he's not hopeless with it, right? Again, you know, he's not like kind of Ruby 11. He can also get up pretty well off of one foot if he's got some momentum going towards the basket but he has a lot of these evasive finishes and i don't think his hands are that big so you'll see him lose control of the ball a lot of times as he's trying to maneuver it around the arms of the defense and he also you know no power finishes at all every once in a while he'll try to euro step it and lower his shoulder into a guy uh but he's not really able to draw the foul in those plays he's he had a couple of really nice euro steps where he covered a lot of ground uh, but then wasn't able to get the finish uh, and you know only four free throw attempts a game given where uh, his offensive load was it is nowhere near enough he doesn't have any kind of bullshit foul drawing game at all that's something that he really is going to need to add uh, i think to just to manipulate the defense a little more get up to six free throw attempts a game instead of four with the type of volume that that he's on i think that could really help his efficiency a lot and you know he's a smart player so maybe he can kind of get into the bullshit foul drawing game a little bit so i mean i think he has the athleticism to be a decent finisher like i know he missed a lot but you have to remember this as well you know this is his first time actually playing against real bigs and real help defense in his whole life right and so I think that he has the raw tools to get a lot better in that area. This is what, and finishing is one of the things that uh, improves the most among young guards. So I, I know a lot of people have really fretted about this. I think he can get to the point where he might not be unbelievable. He's not going to dunk on people necessarily. I definitely would like to see him get fouled more, you know, way fewer finesse finishes, etc. But I think he can get to the point where it's okay for him. And especially with a little bit more spacing in the NBA as well, playing on a good team. He's really got to develop those like Shea Gilgis Alexander, one hand scoop shot type of plays. Um, but he has enough athleticism and size that I think he can be decent. And I think he has okay instincts. It's just, he kind of loses the ball. He just was not this. It really takes a lot of experience to learn how to finish against athletes. And I think he'll start off, especially if he gets to the basket as being one of the worst finishers in the NBA, but he's going to keep being aggressive with it. And I think he has enough athleticism where it can be acceptable in time even if we acknowledge that it sucks now i am not comparing them as players or athletes or point guards but i think of damian lillard where he improved a lot and part of how lillard i I, i've attributed part of his improvement is that remember he was playing at weber state and you just didn't have to run into the same type of competition and while lillard had way better building blocks i mean as an athlete you the general idea of getting better is 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 necessary and I, i think that Lamelo has that possibility, and, and I want. Do you want to talk about defense? Because I have a, I have kind of a. a well, uh, there's a little more I want to talk about offensively sure. too, and I think 
I feel very confident that he'll I shouldn't say very confident I feel confident that he can be a good pick and roll player in the NBA maybe not a great one but a, a pretty good one but you've got a couple of problems here one is that I think he is very switchable right now yes uh, and a lot of teams, as I mentioned, they would switch the pick and roll. And then he really was not able to get good shots after that point. Uh, you know, a lot of it was he would pull up uh, from deep. He didn't have a, a great shooting percentage on threes off the dribble. And so he's going to have to get a lot better there. The other thing too, is that, as I mentioned, like his lateral quickness, change of direction, like he's got a lot of moves off the dribble, but he doesn't really create a ton of separation with change of direction. And I think maybe if he got stronger and he could get a shoulder pass guys and be more explosive, that might help him. But as a one-on-one guy, you know, switching against him was very effective in the Australian league. And as we know, there's not exactly the most athletic bigs in the world in the Australian league. So the jumper has got to get better. He's got to get stronger and get a little bit more left to right acceleration which you know maybe he can work on physically maybe not so i don't i I mean i think that's something where that'll be part of the playbook against him and i'm not sure that he is going to be able to really beat switches in the nba against athletes even if he does make some improvements so that's a a concern for me to be sure it's a concern for me as well and that is one of the other players that i would compare Lamelo ball to is d'angelo russell and that they have they're not you wonder about how all the pieces will fit together and how we've you know we've posited that playing with Carl Anthony Towns is going to help D'Angelo Russell a lot because it forces the defense to do to play a way that is more beneficial to Russell and you don't want to have a point guard you don't want to have somebody running your offense who needs a superhuman you know player to to open those things up because there aren't very many Carl Anthony Townses in the world and you're drafting LaMelo Ball in the top five then you're hoping he's the guy who forces the mismatches not the other player but I, I do I do agree with you that there there are some reasons that he could he could become better and in time you know that that weaknesses might not turn into strengths but weaknesses turn into neutrals and that's not great but it's also a lot better than than for some guys and yeah I I, I vacillated a lot I mean we'll, we'll get into this a little bit later too but like there are a lot of reasons why like I have a couple of different kinds of like draft prospect kryptonite and Lamelo Ball is a couple of them but also has these other elements that I like like that's why I brought up D'Angelo Russell where it's like I can see it so clearly in Russell and see the possibility in Ball and that could become a big problem in the NBA. Yeah, and again, I mean, I think uh, Lamelo to me is going to be uh, has some aspects of being a plus athlete, uh, whereas Russell is a, neg- a minus athlete in pretty much every possible respect. Um, so that I think there's a, I, I see the comparison though, just as far as being able to switch. But I think Lamelo, you know, there are were some times when he was able to get all the way to the rim and blow by the guy. Like he does, he's just got to kind of get that speed going in a straight line to do it, and he can't always uh, get that. Um, defensively i thought uh, and again you, you made this uh, connection before we we are struggling for good comparisons because uh, as mentioned he is a unique player uh, and also with the lack of high level experience he, he does a lot of things that are kind of weird uh but on defense his effort level and intelligence level certainly not his physical profile reminded me of what we saw from ben simmons in college where great anticipation he would get these steals against the other team in transition where you just come out of nowhere and get him or get into the passing lane so yeah pretty good steal rate 
uh, as a kind of out on the floor jumping the passing lanes but uh, doesn't have great defensive hands and he's just he's not he's not going to get in there he's not going to mix it up he's just so physically weak right now that he just can't really affect people in any way with his force they're just going right through him uh you know i'm not sure he's even strong enough to strip the ball away from someone at this point in time so uh, but that was now i I don't think he's gonna up his level to ben simmons type of player defensively and also worth remembering that as bad as ben simmons was in college his making this crazy improvement to being an all defense level of player in the nba you know you don't see that a, a lot of times so uh all that said though i mean i think his defensive tools are pretty decent uh but he just has so far to go in terms of his effort level and really you know in terms of making plays as a help defender he did almost nothing i mean there's maybe you know if we watch a couple traps two full games yeah if we watch two full games he maybe made a decent rotation like twice over the course of those games he had a couple other plays like where he he would try to it was his rotation to get the roll man and he just wasn't in a stance so he didn't move quickly enough and then the it was a big and so he was just so weak the big just like he couldn't get around him to deny the pass um i I mean i thought he he spent approximately 0.1 percent of the time in a defensive stance and so this is one of those things again you can say hey he's got the instincts he's got the size uh he could be a, a pretty decent defensive player maybe put some weight on he could even be switchable but that's all projecting you you just don't know if he's going to get there because yeah. he just has no idea what the hell he's doing he hasn't played any high level basketball at all and he's not even in Illawar. he wasn't in a situation where the coach uh, could use playing time as a hammer at all to get him to do the stuff that they needed to do right and it came up earlier but want to mention that ball is also a capable defensive rebounder already and i think that's another another positive sign uh, we, we saw it sometimes with ben yeah. Simmons, like being the, those are one of the good statistical indicators yeah, being that and, and being in the right place at the right time as a rebounder and remember that he's not russell westbrook in a bunch of different respects but point guards grabbing defensive rebounds is more valuable than other players grabbing defensive rebounds something else that i wanted to bring up with with lamello that i think is important potentially is there were times especially in that game against sydney they were playing against andrew bogut one of the most talented off often dirty screeners in 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 this wonderful international basketball world but Lamelo is big enough where, depending on how, what your scheme is and how you want to do things, I I could totally imagine him primarily defending twos if the system, you know, especially if, if another team ran a lot of high pick and roll or, or something. Well, because like I I don't know how good he's going to be getting over a screen either. If exactly, he's defending the other team's one. Yeah, so I think that and but and so normally you'd be like, oh my god, you have a point guard who can't defend the other team's one. That's a big problem. Well, if he's six six, has a six seven or so wingspan, that's okay. You know, you, you might not want to put him on the other team's best two. Like if if like if they're if the other team has James Harden, then you're going to structure things differently. Or if they have maybe Bradley Beal, do do that. But I think that. Ball's ability to theoretically, I think he'll be better defending twos than ones, and maybe dance a little bit at the three if it's you know somebody who's shitty. Then can that can work well? And and so the the analog there, and it is, is sort of like Steph Curry is not a great defender, but he's very rarely the guy who's killing your defense. And I think Lamelo Ball could end up being that level of defender, which is significantly lower than his brother Lonzo. Like Lonzo, I think of as a plus defender, and maybe Lamelo gets there, but I don't think so. But if you can be not the guy who's killing you, it's an important step. 
Yeah, I, I think one of the things that I was really disappointed by, especially when you see his intelligence level on offense and getting these steals in transition, is just he really was not made no place as a help defender right. at all. You know, he in the half court, he had two blocks in those 13 games so that's i mean when you consider how much more athletic he is than the your normal australian league player you know that was a, a disappointment for me if he's guarding any kind of a shooter it's one track mind you know he's not really able to both see the ball and his man that well and, and react to the ball in help situation and there's a lot of plays where he could have like come over and taken a charge he didn't do that also the fact that he can't jump off of two feet right now is another reason why he's not really able to impact anybody at the rim so I'm, uh, again, I mean, there are reasons for optimism, but there are also reasons for concern. So uh, any, any other like discrete stuff you wanted to talk about or or can we uh, move on here to just uh, describing our, our overall opinion of it? Oh, there was one specific play that I wanted to mention. So this was, goes back to the offense. Um Oh, so actually two things so first i'll say he's more apathetic uh, this is a note i have more apathetic on defense than i'd like but shows recognition not terrible effort better film than somebody like markel fultz for example now markel fultz has changed a lot since the prospect but i remember how much i hated the defensive film on him and i don't think it's it's quite the same for labello yeah you don't see him getting killed uh necessarily you know where it's just awful but again you know i, I was just hoping to see a little bit more from him but again he hasn't had the a ton of coaching in this regard he basically has had like 13 games of real coaching probably in his career and then so sorry and then the yeah. other one was from the sydney game um there was a play that i really liked where lamello looked like he was going to settle for the pull-up which was driving me crazy but instead he kind of turned down the pull-up passed it to a teammate and then and then broke to the free throw line to get an advantage and that's like that's you know so that again that was kind of drawing the parallel with different guys on the warriors like with with clay thompson off ball movement it's like the idea of understanding how to create an advantage he didn't do it consistently but again he's he's 18 so it's like you see those moments and this you know ter- parallels like what we've uh, you know had a lot of times when people said we're too negative on somebody like andrew wiggins it's like you don't want to read all of the tea leaves as positive like that's not a, a rational way to do it colin stexton's another example of this but there are certain certain ways that you want to look at what player does well and does poorly and kind of draw it into a thing draw it into a an overall story it's like there is a a, a potential where a lot of these things become more valuable just like there's a really heavy potential where those things help but they don't matter that much because the other the other flaws are more important so that's a a good way to transition into just what we see as him and i think where i really want to start this is something that i'm torn on is just what's like a 90th percentile outcome for this guy right like now because i'm i'm very drawn to him because of this incredible passing and his handle at his size and you think oh man sky's the limit for this guy but if you dig deeper are his limitations as a scorer and shooter enough that he couldn't really get to be particularly high level in that regard because if that's so then maybe yeah that passing is awesome but if everything else is just doesn't have a high enough ceiling then you wonder if he really has the ability to be you know just a a super high level of player especially because he has these other weaknesses where you think hey you know he's got a huge bust potential as well so is the upside really there with him when you yes he has this great passing he's got this great size good handle 
does he have the potential to be a real star? I don't think he has like MVP potential. I think that the way that I would put it is there is, especially if the jump shot, this is kind of, you asked for the 90th percentile. For me, it's the jump shot falls enough that teams have to respect it a little bit more. And then the passing becomes more dangerous. So he becomes a capable best player primary ball handler on a top 10 offense maybe not a top five but you know a a good team but you and that is you know uh, that is a valuable thing you know you could but but i i think that he could theoretically you know the i i use the him alone test i I think there's a possibility if we're talking 90th percentile not 75th not 50th that he could be one of those guys and then be capable enough defensively that you can like that he's not going to screw you there so then if you can have a you know let's all call it an eight to ten offense and then whatever your defensive personnel does and i think that he will make life easier on a lot of teammates just because of how he can find guys and there's a another parallel and they're not the same kind of player at all but like i could see something like what's happened with the Aaron fox where he's more valuable in transition than as a half court player but still like not terrible in the half court like i could see that being the case for lamella was well to me he could get there if the shot becomes a weapon it has to and if not then you're really like you could be looking at very significant bust potential and yeah i mean i was thinking of just it's so interesting that he's in this draft because everyone is so flawed and other players like james wiseman also just haven't played that much and he could lamello could easily be benefiting from just having not played the entire season and then like if he played this way for the entire season in terms of these stats and the sample size were larger and be like ooh, yeah i don't know about the jumper but I, I think like the fact that he's at least willing to take it and can get it off in, in again comparing him to his brother or ricky rubio you know i think he has much more shooting potential than those guys just because of his ability to get the shot off uh you know lonzo basically if he was shooting off the dribble he could only do it on a step back to his left and he still really can't shoot it all going to his right he's like you know taking baby steps in that area and so he's got enough versatility to his jump shot and can make it when he's shooting from deep to where maybe it could tighten up and he's just even if he doesn't fix his mechanics, just getting more consistent with his mechanics uh, as well and really getting into a, a consistent NBA program with the same people working with him for a long time. Well, you, um, you brought up you brought yeah. up the bus potential, and I think that is an, an appropriate place, especially when you consider where Lamel Ball is likely to get drafted. Yeah. That That is, is worth considering, and in this case, we're defining it as not living up to his draft spot. Maybe that's being a low-end starter or a backup. However, when we're comparing him to members of this class, uh, an operating theory that I've been working on the last couple of years is the, like, the 48 good minutes idea, which is that I believe a point guard who can be a reliable backup and you know spot starter is more valuable than a lot of those the players especially bigs but you know we and wings are more valuable like wings are definitely above point guards but then i would say point guards are above two guards if they can't play other positions because he can help run an offense he can help ball can help you and you know create a transition identity on the second unit and so when you compare his bus potential to let's say anthony edwards there is a I, there is a significant chance that Lamelo ball is not a starter star or like especially not a high level starting caliber player in the nba however 
it is very unlikely to me that he is completely useless, whereas there is a chance that Anthony yeah. Edwards could really hurt your team and that you can't find a play to, to fit him in, or that Isaac Okoro's jump shot is so broken that the defense isn't worth it, or Okongwu just can't really put everything together quite well. So it's like, I agree with you that he has a high best potential, but A, everybody that we've watched in this draft class does, and B, yeah. I think that point guards, by nature of the value of 48 good minutes at the position, just have a higher floor if they're borderline capable. Yeah, and you'd be hard-pressed to find guys, especially with size, who can pass this well that totally fail. I I would be, like, that is a skill. I mean, he's probably, to me, is going to be a top 10 or 15 passer in the league. You know, I, I feel comfortable projecting that. It's just, can he put all the other skills together enough to really leverage that passing and make it awesome? But, I, I mean, I guess... You know, we, we don't have our final draft boards yet. We got to look at some other people, but I would hold my nose when I did it. But of the players we've evaluated so far, I think I would probably draft him number one. I would too. And the the real te- the real thing for me was I went through the like the the draft odds and I was going through each team and I'm like, would you would you take him here if you went number one? And the most telling one for me was Cleveland. So I was thinking about Cleveland. I'm like, okay, well, if Cleveland got the number one pick, if I were if if I had the job, would I take Lamelle Ball number one, knowing what we know right now with the players we've watched and who we haven't? And I would. I think that he is a he is a sufficiently better prospect than Garland and Sexton, neither of whom has moved the needle sufficiently for me. Now, in the real world, if I if Co- if Kobe Altman like was going to do that, that would be a different decision. But I'm just saying, if I had the job and had the latitude to do what I wanted, but what I wanted to do is a very quick. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this kind of run through because I also have Lamelo so far number one of the players we've watched. However, him being number one in this class does not mean anything of Lamelo Ball as one of the best point guard prospects of the last little while. So what I wanted to do was kind of take a little walk down point like point guards or guys who guys who were drafted with the idea that they would have the ball in their hands a lot over the last 10 years and we can just kind of say okay where does he slot in I don't want to spend a lot of time on this but I want to go through it so we'll start 2019 I definitely have him below jaw and I would have him below Garland as yeah. well I, I mean sorry yeah, I would I, have him above I would have him above Garland below jaw but well below jaw yeah yeah I think like I I was thinking about this if I were evaluating him and he were in the 2019 draft I probably would have him third I would have him like above uh Garland or RJ Barrett yeah uh, so but yeah way below jaw I mean I love jaw um 2018 so 18 it's Luca and Trey we would have him below both of them yeah I think yeah I mean Luca's not even necessarily really a, a point well, no, guard, but the, but, the idea because um, because Lamelo's six foot six I mean you think of him as a guy who has the ball yeah. in his hands that's the way I'm thinking about it okay uh 17 Markel Lonzo I'm not going to count Josh Jackson, De'Aaron Fox. I would definitely have him below Markel Fultz, knowing what we knew then. I really like Markel. Lonzo is an interesting question, and Fox? I, I would have him above Lonzo. I mean, again, this is knowing what we know now, but I think like there are things about Lonzo that were obvious at the time, and I think I just didn't count them enough of just what difficulty he was going to have as a scorer, and then also I probably gave his jump shot a little bit too much credit at the time, too. So, um, yeah, I would have him above his brother because I think there's... like. Looking back at Lonzo, like there's nothing about Lonzo to make you think that he was going to be able to be a primary pick and roll. Yeah, see, option. I, and I would have, I would have Lamelo below where I had Lonzo then, but I will admit that was a mistake. Like that's the yeah, way. I, that's, that, the way that's a fair way to it. summarize. Um, and yeah. I would have had him. I, I think it would have had Lamelo around where I had De'Aaron Fox. Where I, I really like De'Aaron Fox though. So like he would. Um. Um. Okay. So let's go to 16. Yeah, I think I w- I would have had Lamelo above De'Aaron Fox, but I would have been wrong. <laughs> Simmons. 20 by the way 2017 as we, i think we did a redraft on on that or or we went back and looked at like our mistakes 
that was one of the pods that we did at looking back at our biggest uh mistakes from the last few drafts and 2017 was uh not our finest no hour. uh 16 ben simmons chris dunn well above chris dunn below ben simmons. yes um 15 d'angelo russell and that's it uh i would have him above yeah moody moody oh, was in that, that 2015 well moody was too. seventh i was only doing top five but yeah sure you can okay. above moody uh i would have him above d'angelo russell as well but we i didn't watch a ton of d'angelo film yeah. from whatever I, re- I really liked moody at the time i might have actually had moody ab- above him but again you i'm know, trying to remember hopefully if I we've learned above, something in the last I'm trying five to remember years moody above russell okay oh now 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 we have my my shame um Melo uh, Lamelo versus Dante Exum. I would have Lamelo over Exum. Uh, that was another weird draft class. The only reason I had Exum number one was because Joel Embiid. There's a possibility he's never going to play basketball. Um, but Exum, I liked the defensive potential. I was also again, I was wrong on him, but. Exum, there was it was never really clear like if he could be the engine behind reliable offense. I just looked past that. So maybe this is another one of those I would have had Exum higher, but that was a mistake. Uh, but knowing what we know right now, even if I just take my lens now and shift it to Exum, then I think Lamelo is better than than Exum. Yeah, it was re- like Exum's just his handle and shooting just never really developed. Like that's kind of what I was projecting for him. And part of that I'm sure is that he missed you know two and a half seasons. Yes, very true. Since then, but. Uh, 2013 um, didn't really have a, a a guy like this in the top of the class. Trey Burke was probably the closest, yeah. but I I didn't like Trey Burke. Yeah, um, I mean, we're, I don't think we need to go any further here because that, that's 2014 is really the first draft that I actually sure. spent a lot of time on. So I, I don't really have anything else to say uh, beyond. Yeah, that, so but, I, I think that um, I think that can work well for people as a calibrator. Like just because we have him number one in this class does not mean we think Lamelo Ball is necessarily going to be a superstar. But and. and but I think that the positives, the positives are there, and it's going to be. I think his destiny is is so tied to how this draft turns out, and the flattened lottery odds make this significantly more crazy because we could see it go a lot, of, go a lot of different directions. I mean, like if he goes to Detroit and they have to take a lot of time to build this around, and and hopefully Weaver and their front office can do a good job. Yeah, it'd be awesome. And there are other places where I'd be very concerned, where I think that you know that wonder if the coaching staff would be tough enough on him to to get the right things out of it so we'll we'll see we'll see where it goes and you know no team having better than a 14 percent chance to gain the number one pick makes this wild yeah and i'm sure we may as we evaluate more prospects we might find certain teams should take them certain teams shouldn't um we'll talk more about that obviously as the draft comes up but um we actually have some news about the draft that we'll talk about right after this okay a lot has piled up here since we last spoke to you or i did at least uh, on tuesday after that conversation with Mark Spears, which I, I highly recommend, by the way, uh, Mark had a, a lot of good thoughts about the NBA return to play in, in terms of activism and, and then also how to improve minority hiring. And I thought that it had, even if you're in some other line of, of work, uh, we talked some about journalism, but uh, also other lines of work. He, he had some really good thoughts uh, on how to improve minority hiring that I think could apply to all businesses. So let, let's talk a little bit here first. A little bit more news has come out on what some of the protocols uh, are going to be. The biggest thing that pops out for me is the news that any player with a positive coronavirus test can't do any physical activity for 14 days, essentially. They are worried, I think rightfully so, given some of the research I've done on the COVID pod of potential morbidities, which would include heart damage. We've seen that uh, for a lot of people. And so obviously basketball players uh, at their size, there have been uh, some tragic stories uh, about basketball players and heart issues. And so they really want to make sure that the player is no longer sick, ramp up their activity. So it's basically 
14 days that you can't do any physical activity. And then after that, you know, uh, how long does it take to ramp up? I mean, I think at a minimum, any player testing positive, even if asymptomatic, you're going to miss probably 21 days of activity. And then that's noteworthy too. If you just think about today, Tuesday, is supposedly when everyone is going to be tested. Woj had a tweet that at least one team has had four players test positive already. They've started testing players in these last couple of weeks, uh, again, as they return to their markets. But today is the day that formal testing every other day is going to begin. And uh, it's also interesting. So, So if you have players, even if they test positive today, you basically have two weeks and and so during this period when they're allowed to do individual workouts they're not gonna be able to do anything and so they really aren't gonna be able to start any kind of physical activity until they get to orlando the players who are testing positive right now so that is uh, definitely could set some players back if they're really starting just from nothing when they get to orlando and that's assuming again that they're asymptomatic if they're symptomatic it, it could take even longer uh for players to be able to get back and hopefully they will with uh, no consequences so that that's uh, a, a huge thing and then you know if it if the player were to test positive during the bubble which hopefully is not going to happen right like hopefully they will establish the bubble and no nobody will get it after that they are prepared for that eventuality but they're hoping that no one will but if that happens then you're basically out for three weeks and in the case of most teams your season is just going to be over yeah. at, at that point but I mean, you know, you know this world far better than I do. But it seems like this is a an appropriate an appropriate policy in terms of the the long term oh, the long term health of the players. Yeah. No. I mean, you just you, you can't take the risk, and, and they obviously have consulted with medical professionals who have looked at this, uh, and uh, the risk uh, of a heart condition in, in particular seems to be what's uh, driving this. So. Uh, if someone tests positive, they immediately have to enter this isolation housing, uh, which is separate from the rest of the NBA campus. They remain there until they are asymptomatic or, or they are cleared. Zach Lowe reported that. Uh, there is going to be, uh, in terms of frequency, they haven't committed to doing the testing every day. They are to be tested every other day for sure up until the beginning of the Orlando bubble. And of course, it's so important to catch any infections before they go into the bubble. You can't be bringing people who are positive into the bubble or, or you have to take all efforts there. But it's unclear exactly how much testing will occur once they are actually in the bubble. The, the league hasn't made any particular commitments there but they do say uh that they may modify the frequency based on some of the results so i think this is one there it makes sense to keep it open i would love it if they just committed that they're going to test everyone every single day uh but that costs money and it's a pain in the ass uh i can't think of any re- other reason why they wouldn't want to be doing that uh this uh was a subject of some amusement that the nba is creating an anonymous hotline to report potential violations of protocol i mean the thing everyone is talking about is people trying to sneak off of campus or uh sneak guests in uh, to campus so uh, the everyone went crazy about people potentially snitching but i think that's uh that's still important uh, to have um and because they're not going to be like i don't think anyone's consenting actually being monitored so you do need to know if people are leaving campus it's everybody's safety uh, that's uh, potentially at risk right and i'm guessing there i'm considering the limited amount i know of the disney world properties i'm guessing there will be video available if there if somebody says hey look at this place at this time there will they they there will either be a defense or a potential you know problem there yeah um 
if a team staff member violates the safety protocols remember as we talked about last week if a player violates it then they have to be quarantined for at least 10 days and they have to get the invasive navel swab testing uh and so they're basically out of action for 10 days maybe as much as 14 uh if staff members violate the safety protocols they could just remove without warning their team and the team will not have the opportunity to replace the staff member there's been a number of bits of news about the coaches remember and it seems like they basically are just going to be allowed to coach their concerns about uh, violating employment regulations if they were not allowed to coach certainly reasonable accommodations need to be made uh in the first row players and coaches will not be required to wear a mask but is recommended that the coaches wear masks and in the second row with uh, non-active players and coaches they must wear masks uh, at all times and in the health and safety protocol it specifically says the occurrence of a small or otherwise expected number of COVID-19 cases will not require a decision to suspend or cancel the resumption of the season. But of course, again, that we don't know exactly how many people it's going to take for them to want to do that. Clearly, which players it is could cause a, a cancellation uh, if there are too many and they're important enough. But I, I think it makes sense to me to not just decide that ahead of time. I agree. Do you want to go to the the, the news about the draft and offseason timing? Well, let me see if I got anything else on this, uh, on these safety protocols here. Yeah, one thing that struck me, again, I mean, I talked about some of the weaknesses I thought of this protocol. Largely good, and most professionals who have discussed it, I think it's good Fauci, uh, Angie Rasmussen, who we had a, on the COVID podcast, did a podcast with Sam Amick and said that she thought they did, did a pretty good job with these protocols. But the one thing that I didn't like about it is I would have liked to have seen a little bit longer of a quarantine in Orlando because it, you could have guys getting infected right before they get there. And that quarantine isn't really long enough to detect infections for sure that would have been acquired right before arriving. You, know, you really would want to have all, as much as five or six days there uh, rather than essentially just needing two negative tests in 24 hours if you just got infected those wouldn't necessarily pick it up um but then the other thing that doesn't really make a ton of sense to me is having this whole coming back to the home markets thing you know it really to me would make more sense if they just started the bubble in orlando right now but i think that was just the bubble is already going on so long that they just people weren't going to agree yeah. to that so now you have this hybrid situation right where they're getting tested every other day they're supposed to come into the facility for workouts they're supposed to kind of be back on a lockdown footing but you're still living with people who are going out as well the nba encourages the people they're living with to not go out so there's really there's problems with this uh, for sure and yeah they're not gonna be having contact with each other the players but there still might be kind of out and about a little bit and it's really just up to the individual responsibility to not acquire the any infections within this first two weeks when they're just in the home market and they're hopefully they can impart the seriousness of really sort of being on more of a lockdown type of footing but it's not this is not as safe as if you just had everyone report to orlando and report to the bubble immediately true uh let me see if i had anything else here oh yeah there's the idea of this traveling party as teams advance in the playoffs they can add and swap out members of the traveling party there's a gonna be there are certain strictures like you have to have a, a security guy you have to have one trainer you have to have one executive among your 35 people that you can have 
And so there's going to be a lot of wrangling of like who gets to bring their guy and players can do that, but it only count, but it does count against your 35. And so it's, you know, a personal security guy or a personal workout guy or whatever, are they going to be allowed to come or not? You know, if you're James Harden's personal guy on the Rockets, that kind of thing, or is it just going to be only be straight up team personnel? And oh yeah, the last thing that I wanted to talk about with this is when these protocols first came out, there's this idea of players who didn't want to play. And now we're seeing that the, the first of these, Davis Bertans, who's about to be a free agent, he's got two ACL tears in his past. He doesn't want to play. The Wizards uh, will not be winning a series. So oh, they could at least make it to the playoffs or make it into a playing game. Uh, they have to finish within four games uh, of Brooklyn or Orlando. And it sounded to me initially when I looked at this, that the player and team could just agree that the guy is going to be excused. And if you are quote unquote excused as a player, in addition to being a protected player, the latter relating to COVID-19 risk, excused relating to some other sort of risk. I originally said on this show that, yeah, the player and team, it sounded like to me, could just agree that the player was still going to get paid. And the initial rumblings, there's an interview with Berton's agent, is that he's not going to get paid. And I haven't really been able to get a good answer. If you read the league memo, which I was able to get a copy of, it basically says that the if the Players Association and the NBA can just agree that a player is quote-unquote excused, and then he'll still get paid. So that's not the same necessarily as the team and the player, but I mean, the Players Association obviously will want the guy to still get paid. So is the league going to just accede to the team's wishes? Are they going to make the league going to make the player go through this process with the three physician panel to be excused? Or are they just going to accept it? I mean, if I'm the league, this just doesn't seem like a fight worth fighting. Like you just, you're going to pay as much as you're going to pay regardless. So you might as well just let the guy not play. Why fight this with the players? They want to not play and get paid fine. I mean, there's plenty There's plenty of players who uh, aren't on teams that are in this bubble who are still getting paid. So what, so what do you care? Why not just let these guys get paid? Why pick the fight? Use your political capital there. But we'll see what actually happens with that. I mean, it sounds like Bertans is not going to get paid, at least as of now. So, uh I don't know. Anything to add on that? No, I think we'll just. I just kind of want to see how see how it plays out a little bit longer. Uh, but I, I think that on the Bertans issue, I think that there are, there are a lot of reasons why a player could elect not to go into the bubble. And I think Bertans is illuminating and as as the first case here, and then Trevor Reza largely is the second. Is that so? Neither of these are particularly COVID related. Bertans, it's the injury risk of being a pending unrestricted free agent and getting potentially getting a big payday. And Reza could be a free agent as well but he's also doing a uh has a custody issue with with his with his child and there are lots of reasons why why players could elect not to be in the bubble and there or they could be recovering from an injury like kelly Ubre, and it seems like Ubre was unavailable but you know the, those are we're going to see some very nebulous things there i'm sure of players that are recovering but you know theoretically could have played and that's also one of the challenges having such a big bubble having so many teams in this is that a lot of these teams don't really have that much to play for, and a lot of individuals are carrying plenty of risk. So Ariza, you know, he has the partial guarantee for next year, has a, it could be an unrestricted agent, Davis Bertans, we already talked about. And that could lead to a less competitive early section and depending on who pulls out maybe even maybe even later on but having it be so big means there are a higher proportion of teams and players that don't have as much incentive and then thus have more reasons not to play. Yeah, and to, to drill into each of those circumstances a little bit more, Robert Sarver had previously said, as we talked about, that Ubre was expected to play, and 
if it weren't such a weird situation, he would have been back already. He had a he had his surgery shortly before the shutdown and was supposed to be back in six to eight weeks. But uh, he is now going to continue rehabbing, uh, according to Shams Sharania. This uh, the whole participation of Phoenix basically seems like Robert Sarver really wanted to do it, and I'm I'm guessing everyone else didn't really want to <laughs> didn't really want to do it. Uh, and so yeah, it really doesn't make sense for Ubre to play, especially I'm sure he's thinking if I've only got one more year on my contract, I'm just coming off injury. Uh, why? risk it Ariza he's got this custody battle uh with the mother of his child who's about one year old and so she perhaps in some legal wrangling you can see these custody battles like get ugly was like oh i know what i'm gonna grant you your one month visitation i'll do it right during the nba bubble when you have to be in orlando and so he is now uh not going to he's made plenty of money in his career i mean it's interesting he does have a non-guarantee for next year uh he was their starting small forward he's basically the only small forward on the team who's any good uh ariza and so uh, that really does hurt portland's chances when they probably had as good a chance as anybody is getting into the playing game so that's good that's going to be a major problem for portland i mean they're really they're down to and who the hell is going to start it's paul ford for them now i have no idea i mean i know it's been a while so maybe there maybe there's some candidate that i'm just not thinking of. i mean maybe it's maybe there'll be... be a team to I, to get somebody off of the you know in the transaction window which started at nine at 9 yeah. a.m pacific time on tuesday um we already actually have seen a couple of a couple of announcements i don't think they've been formally agreed to uh, signed yet uh cory brewer is going to sign with the sacramento kings and anthony tolliver who had been on a 10-day with the grizzlies is going to uh go with the grizzlies per our friend mark stein of the new york times yeah ne- neither of those I-, I would expect to to be prominently featured uh, unless uh, injuries arise detroit has uh hired troy weaver as their general manager they had a press conference uh, with him where, where he was uh, talked a lot about what some of the goals are going to be unclear exactly how much decision making power he has presumably to get him from oklahoma city they had to either offer him a lot of money or at least some power but you still got arn Tellum in that organization you still have ed stefanski in that organization so i we have not actually heard it reported as troy weaver is going to be the lead basketball decision maker and in fact in most organizations at this point when you're the lead basketball decision maker you end up getting some sort of an executive vice president or president title as opposed to general manager. I mean, I, I'm sure he'll be a very important voice. And I think having him be the public front of the organization uh, is useful for a variety of reasons, but it's unclear whether he really is the number one guy there. But Weaver, I mean, he'd been as a, a unique path coming up, uh, was an assistant at Syracuse and has been in the OKC organization basically since the beginning and uh, was uh, one of the lead scouting voices back in the, uh, I think Russell Westbrook was like, a, he was a big fan of him, one of the big uh, pushes towards that. So he's been bandied about as a perpetual candidate. He and Gerson Rosas, the two perpetual candidates, both actually have finally gotten jobs now. Um, what else we got here? DeMarcus Cousins will not be playing in Orlando for the Lakers or any team he's working on rehabbing. Victor Oladipo is going to increase his physical activity and reevaluate uh, whether he's going to return for the uh, for the Orlando time with the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, he was, he was back playing yeah. already. He's supposed to. I mean, I don't know. Some guys just maybe haven't had the facilities to have a high activity level uh, during some of these shutdowns. But I mean, that's uh, that's interesting. I mean, I think he's going to try and ramp things up, and if he doesn't feel right you know he's he's another guy who 
could be is, is going to be extension eligible and you know at age 29 will be a free agent in the summer of 2021 and obviously he fought through injury at the start of last year and got a torn quad tendon to show for it so he's understandably gonna be a little skittish and, and there's a a lot of players are really concerned about soft tissue injuries after this long layoff um you know they're gonna have a, a decent amount of training camp hopefully here but we'll see I, i'm just very i have no idea what level of injuries you're gonna see because i think uh, and what your median player has been able to do in terms of activity compared to what they would have during say a a summer uh did, and obviously if i mean that's this is a little different than washington or yes. phoenix because the, they are fighting for playoff seating they are going to be in the playoffs uh with oladipo correct uh the knicks are expected to interview uh eight to ten candidates for the head coach of vacancy we haven't heard all of those names yet but we'll we'll keep of course keep keep an eye on that you can actually read the yeah tom thibodeau was supposed to be the front runner yes. there but they're they are interviewing a lot of people which is good you know, maybe that maybe that yeah and uh if you want to read it seth partno sam vicini dave dufour and i do uh, did our our massive like collaborative breakdown of the knicks that came out on i think thursday or friday of last week so you can you can take a look at that we talked a little bit about the coaching thing, but we knew there were going to be a lot of names and we couldn't talk about all of them. So we didn't spend as much time on that part of it. Um, is your, how's your falsetto? Is it, is it ready? Uh, yeah, I think it might be because uh, Andre Drummond, shockingly enough, has opted in to his $28 million player option. Or he hasn't opted in, but he, he said he's definitely going to uh, on a, a podcast and uh, rather fate accomplished yes. uh, for that one. Um, the Mavs, Courtney Lee, who actually been playing a little bit at the start of March, and I thought that his demise had been a little odd. Remember, he had that weird neck issue at the beginning of last season with the Knicks, but he'd been playing a little bit due to injuries, and it's shown a little bit of something, but you know, it was only a 10-day period or so. But now he uh, has suffered what was described to Tim McMahon as a freak calf injury during the shutdown that required surgery. That's a hell of a calf injury uh, to require surgery. So the Mavs will be looking looking for more reinforcements uh on the wing and uh, of course today tuesday is when that one week transaction window opens in addition to of course the uh, formal coronavirus testing starting uh, with the players returning to facilities um just a reminder of what's going on this week wednesday june 24th is the deadline for a player to notify his team if he is not playing on playing and then on saturday each of the 22 teams in orlando uh, may sign two-way contracts so those players are actually gonna be able to play and then sunday is the last day to waive a player if you want to uh so so transaction basically they've got this transaction window uh that's going to go about eight days here starting today um a couple other just uh team stuff before we finish up with the the changes at the draft uh clay thompson uh, according to anthony slater has now finally been cleared to train without restrictions so he can take contact i mean the requisite team sources in slater's story said oh he looks great blah blah and uh, Thompson, of course, I mean, there, there may still be some sort of mini camp for the teams that are out of the bubble and, and he's expected to participate fully in that. And there have been some changes here to the draft as well. Yeah, the league has moved the draft from October 15th to October 16th. That's from a Thursday to a Friday. That Thursday was both a big NFL game and the second presidential debate. And um, and so that, that, but that also puts it closer to the start of free agency. The current expectation is that free agency will open on October 18th, but then there will be a moratorium from the 19th to the 23rd, from the start of free agency to the 23rd. So there, the, it's going to be a very hectic time for these front offices. This is only, you know, basically two, three days before between the draft and the start of free agency. 
Yeah, and the moratorium being a little bit shorter, four days instead of six, should help restricted free agents to some degree, you would think. Uh, John Hollinger and David Aldridge also did a piece over the weekend in which they did not necessarily reporting this, but they said that the expectation, at least among league personnel, is that the cap number for next year is going to stay steady right about 109 which that makes the most sense to me having it go up doesn't make any sense but they're gonna if there's going to be reduced revenue which there almost certainly is going to be for next year in fact it was reported the players association assumes there are going to be no fans for all of the 2021 season which i i agree with i don't think that's going to be safe and, and i talked about this actually on uh on twitter at nate duncan nba there is a piece of reporting by I think it's called the Vermont Diggers, a, a nonprofit that looked at the spread of the coronavirus, um, self-reported among those who had tested positive or had symptoms at a March 10th indoor basketball game. I guess they're all indoors uh, in a gym with about 3,500 people where it looked like there was a crazy high spread uh, at this Vermont Catamounts game. And so there's actually a diagram of all the people who ended up getting it or having symptoms. So a good indication of why we can't really have indoor basketball games with fans while the coronavirus is still going around and there aren't uh, adequate treatments for it. And I guess the last thing we talk about here is that the early entry deadline is now on August 17th. And that's a big deal because just college players need more information. And this is actually giving them a second bite at the apple. If the college season is just looking like it's not even going to happen. And you know who knows what's going to even happen with campuses and classes. Not to mention having fans at games in college. And so if that's looking like it's just going to be a disaster, you get players who would have returned who can uh, opt into the NBA draft uh, as late as August 17th. Anything else to talk about before we go? You, you plugged your piece uh, on the Knicks, but anything hey, we else? Got, we, we have a series of them kind of kind of continuing moving forward, so you can check those out. And then my solo ones are coming as well. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly where we're in the series. I've written the first date, so it's we'll, we'll see when they get published. So you can check out check that all out, of course, at the Athletic slash Capspace. And uh, I did Real GM Radio late last week with Adam Maris, which was great. We talked about, um, you, you had a conversation with him previously during the off, during the hiatus about Michael Porter. We talked about kind of where the rotation might be going. So that was a really good conversation. And yeah, I think that's about it for now. All right. We'll give you one more later this week, probably either uh, Thursday or Friday. Hollinger and I did a, our pod where we talked about the NBA superlatives in categories that we kind of made up things like best passer, best athlete in the NBA. We went like an hour and 20 minutes and we didn't even get through all the categories. We might do a few more as well on a future episode, but that was a lot of fun getting a lot of commentary on that best handle, best shooter, best post game, a lot of interesting stuff on that pod. So I encourage you to check that out. Just search uh, Hollinger in your favorite podcast player. Talk to y'all next time.